Hey everyone, good to see you again. Really quick question off the start. Have you ever been hungry before? Yeah, hands up. Come on. Have you ever been hungry before? Okay, think about Canadian Thanksgiving. Okay, Canadian Thanksgiving, many months away, so we've got lots of railway time, lots of lead time to prepare for Thanksgiving. How many Thanksgiving dinners have you enjoyed in one Thanksgiving weekend? How many of you have enjoyed one dinner? Hands up if you enjoyed a single dinner. How about two? Three? Four? Five? I've had five. It was a glorious weekend. I don't remember much of the rest of the month, but that weekend was amazing. Hunger drives us in so many different ways. As young parents with only one kid, we experienced a lot of crazy things around hunger. Our daughter had a lot of different needs when it came to her food intake. Some were allergy-related and some were preference-related. And interestingly enough, each of us has a hunger preference. When we would go out to hang out with some families in our church or just neighbors and friends, we would have to bring a bag of some of her favorite foods that she would eat. One of them was bacon I would show up at somebody's house that I'd not really met before with a little Ziploc full of bacon, and I would ask them, hey, could you just warm this up a little bit? Like it was pre-cooked bacon because Sadie wanted to eat bacon. It's awesome because now when she wants to hang out, she's like, dad, let's go on a father-daughter date. And I'm like, where do you want to go? She's like, let's go for steak. It's like... It's unbelievable how awesome it is to be driven and motivated by our hunger. We're going to talk about this a little bit more because as we dive into the last bits and pieces of the book of Philippians, this third chapter, what we're going to discover is that hunger drives us. And there are different ways that you and I kind of are motivated and inspired by our hunger. And some of them are positive and some of them are less than that. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at the second chunk of that chapter, starting in verse 12 and going through all the way through to verse 21. And as always, if you want to use your digital device, version is the app you want to download and go on to the more section from the home screen, the live events, and C-Road Live is right there. You can follow along in that capacity. Verse 12 of the third chapter in the book of Philippians. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But when we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they only 
and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Really interesting part of the letter that we're getting to that Paul is writing. Kind of these last final moments. These last things that he wants this group of people to understand succinctly and efficiently so that they can live into all that God has for them in the moment. And the word that stood out for me the most is the word appetite. Hunger. Appetite. We talked about hunger. We had a little bit of fun already. You, you heard a little bit of my five Thanksgiving dinner story. I've got photos I can show you if you're curious about what that looked like. It was glorious, as I said. I want to talk about four layers of hunger. Four reasons, four motivations that you and I have, despite our age, our stage, our ethnicity, our job, we have these hungers that drive us. The first hunger is this. We have a hunger for intimacy. The desire to be loved. Think about it. What have you done for love? What have you done for love? I've done a few crazy things. I jumped out of a moving vehicle. Legit. I've jumped off of high things. I've sang in front of people. I've written notes. Anybody write a note to someone that they thought they loved? Anybody a recipient of a note from somebody who like, professed their love to you? Yeah? All these things that we do for love, it's all wrapped up in this hunger for intimacy. We're driven forward in so many ways, shapes, and forms. In fact, all you need to do is pop onto social media and, and type in intimacy in one of your stores, whether it's the Google Play Store or the App Store, and you're going to see a whole bunch of different options in terms of apps that bubble up to offer you what you need, what you crave to feed your hunger. We all want to be loved. We all want to be noticed. We all want to be connected in some way. And what's really important about this hunger is how it drives us. And more importantly, to who it drives us. If we think about this through the lens of the life of Jesus, and even the lens through the life of Paul. Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he is cooped up. He's in prison. He is not able to physically be with people. He desires so much to express and experience love that he is using the only mode that's available to him at the time, and that's writing letters. And in some cases, it's not even Paul that's writing the letter. He's dictating it to somebody else who's writing for him because he has terrible writing. If you've ever got a handwritten note from me, you'll understand. Sometimes, sometimes it's funny. Danny, who works in our office, some of, you, some of you have a great relationship with Danny, and some of you have brought these notes that I've written, and, and you ask Danny to decipher them. Like, what does this actually say? I've always said I should have been a doctor because I have great writing for doctor stuff. You know, you get that prescription, and you're like, what does that actually say? We do crazy things for love. 
Paul's writing letters, wanting to stay connected, wanting to continue to foster intimate relationship with people. But when you think about Jesus and all that he did for love, it's, it pales in comparison. Jesus, what he did for love was everything. Jesus gave up his literal life for love. Jesus was willing to endure the most excruciating, painful, humiliating experience that any human being could have gone through for love. We do crazy things for love. Jesus, if we don't know who he is, we can look at that and be like, that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? Because of love. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son so that no one would have to perish. That they would believe in him. They would have eternal life. Far too often what we do with our hunger for intimacy is we, we see it through the lens of the ordinary. And we don't see it through the lens of the extraordinary. Like some of us are planning right now what we're doing for lunch later. Some of us are hoping we get out in time to go to early brunch. Some of us may have even made reservations at our favorite restaurant or ordered takeout or are doing that right now on our phones because I mentioned hunger. We're driven by this thing. Our hunger for intimacy can lead us forward. But my question to you is, is your hunger leading you towards Jesus or away from him? Your hunger for love, your hunger for intimacy, the desire, is it leading you towards Jesus or away from him? If it's leading you away from Jesus, that hunger will never, ever be satiated. You will always be wanting more. You will always be looking for something to fill you. But when that hunger for intimacy is rooted in your relationship with Jesus, that's when you begin to flourish and bloom, even in the most challenging of seasons and moments and circumstances. One of my favorite things to do is, is watch different parts of nature as I drive. I'm also keeping my eyes on the road, don't worry. Or as I go on a walk or a hike. In, Al in Alberta in particular, what was awesome when you're driving through the Rocky Mountains is you would see these trees that were clinging on to like the side of a rock face and flourishing. And you would be marveling at that and going like, my goodness, how is that possible that they're just barely hanging on and yet thriving in the moment? It's because they were rooted in the right thing. Their hunger was grounded in the right thing. Our hunger for intimacy, if it's grounded in Jesus, we're going to flourish. But if it's grounded in something else, we're going to find that we're going to be up against it time and time again, looking for something else to renew us, to restore us, to fill us, to whatever. The first hunger that we all share is this hunger for intimacy, the desire to be loved. You are loved by Jesus, whether you believe in him or not. You are loved 
by Jesus. I am loved by Jesus. It seems so simple to say, and, and to be honest, sometimes I don't understand the full weight and power of those words. My desire to be loved, my desire for intimacy is fully, completely satiated in Jesus. That's worthy of an amen. There's a second hunger that drives each one of us, and that's the hunger for connection. And it comes from this desire to be noticed and seen. I love the life of Jesus and the story of a man named Zacchaeus, a short wee little man, as I learned in a song when I was a young little boy. A wee little man was he. I don't know what that meant, but definitely shorter than five foot nine. And he's so desperate to see Jesus, he climbs this tree. He wants to see him, but he doesn't want to yet be noticed, but he kind of really does want to be noticed. As humankind, we're born with this desire to be seen and noticed. As soon as our kids started to talk, one of their favorite phrases was, hey, watch me, watch me, watch me. And they're like, what are you doing? They're like, I'm twirling, watch me, watch me. It's like, dude, yay, you twirled, thank you, awesome. It's this desire for connection. We, we wander through the world and we're trying to figure out where do we belong, where do we fit, why are we the way that we are? We want to be seen. Even when we think we're hiding, we want to be seen. In some way, we want somebody to desperately notice us. I was a youth pastor for many years, and you'd see some of these kids walk into an event or an environment that we would create, and, and they would be the wallflowers is what I would call them. They try to sneak in and be in a space where nobody would notice them, but they're desperately looking to be seen. One of our high school kids even here at Sea Road mentioned to Daniel one time, after being gone from youth ministry for about six weeks, they randomly showed up and Daniel was able to greet them by name. And this individual said to the friends that they brought, see, I told you they'd notice if we weren't there. We're desire to be noticed and seen and connected in some way. And when we're not, we don't know what to do. When we wander into a room and we haven't made a friend and there's no friendly face in that space, we might panic just a little bit, get a little bit of social anxiety because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with people, even us introverts. We want to be around people, but we don't really want to be around people, but we really want to be around people. We don't know what to do. And this hunger for connection drives us to do crazy things. Sometimes it drives us to, to walk away from our values because we have a friend, at least. And we start doing things or engaging in activity that we never would have before. But at least we're connected to somebody, we think. We can find ourselves in compromising situations and sets of circumstances in an instant because of our desire to be connected, our hunger to be known, to be seen. I think what Paul is reminding us here in this section of text is, well, that appetite we need to be aware of it, and it's important. It's got to, again, be rooted in the right thing. 
He calls us citizens of heaven. Sometimes when we're looking to be connected, we can only see the right here and right now. And the right here and right now is important, but it also needs to be held in tandem with the, what is to come. And the truth is, if we are not connected with Jesus, the right here and the right now is all we will ever experience in term, terms of life to the full and to the flourishing. But when we're connected with Christ, we can, embed, we can benefit from life to the full and the flourishing right now and life to the eternal with Christ after our human experience is over. And those of us who aren't connected with Jesus after our human experience is over, it's an eternal separation, an eternal disconnect where our hunger will never be satisfied, ever. It's important for us to understand that because the reality is we live in a world that's now and not yet. And so our hunger for connection, although it drives us, although it can motivate us, it's gotta be put in its right place. It's not always good to consume everything that you're hungry for. How many of you have ever gone to Krispy Kreme Donuts? Mm-hmm. How many of you can eat just one? That's what I thought. Krispy Kreme Donuts, like when you go to it in the States, when they're doing it well, it's, it's they're making it fresh. If you get the stuff that's been on the shelf for a while, you can just leave that alone. It doesn't taste good. But the fresh stuff... They give you one, and you're like, ooh, that went down really easily. And they're like, would you like another? And of course you say yes. It's hard to stop eating donuts. For some of you, you're like, well, I don't like sugar at all. What, what, how about chips? Okay. Can you eat just one? Our hunger drives us. It motivates us. It can be all-consuming. And just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Just because it's an experience in front of us doesn't mean that we should embrace it. See, what happens when we're connected with Jesus is he helps us to filter our hunger. The way that we connect with God and one another. He gives us boundaries, these riverbanks that help us put our hunger in its right place. And for some of us, if we're honest, we've blazed past those riverbanks. And we're now living in a floodplain. And everything seems chaotic. Our hunger for intimacy and our hunger for connection, they drive us forward, but they have to be, they have to be balanced. They have to be informed and shaped by the one who designed us, for us to fully understand what it means to be hunger, hungry and what it means to have our hunger satisfied. There's a third quick hunger that I'm gonna to refer to, and this is the hunger for relevance. For relevance. Again, Paul kind of points to this in verse 19. He says, they are headed for destruction. 
Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So many of us want to be something. We want to have a level of influence in the lives of people. We want to do something. We want to be known for things. We want to be connected in some way. And these hungers are different layers, right? This desire for intimacy and this desire for connection and this then hunger for relevance, they're all interwoven together and interconnected. But this is the one that could be the most intense. We're told that we need to make the most of what we've been given. That's what our culture says to us all the time. You ask any high school kid, and one of the most, one of the questions they get asked the most is, hey, what are you going to do or what are you going to be when you grow up? It's always a reference towards their vocational or educational pursuits of some kind. And we seem to value culturally the people, the women and the men that rise up to what we would define as more prominent influential roles. Ooh, you want to be a manager of a Fortune 500 company. Wow. You want to be in the medical field. Wow. And then somebody's like, hey, I want to be a plumber. And we're like, okay, cool. I guess we need that. I want to be a small business owner. Ooh, small business. Why are you thinking small? How about medium or large? I want to be in the insurance business. Oh, okay. Cool. Can you get me a break on my car insurance? They're asked these questions, and subconsciously, as a society and as a culture, we value the things that have more influence. We value the schools that people go to. Oh, you're a graduate from Yale. Ooh, I'm a graduate from Harvard, so there. I didn't graduate from either of those schools, just to be honest. The first school I graduated from post-secondary is now defunct. My, my degree's still valid, though. My master's degree is from another school that doesn't need to be named. It's been in the news for other poor things, so I'd rather not be known for that. We value these things that, that God just doesn't value. Like, he's wired us to be who he's created us to be, and the skills and the talents that he's given us, he wants us to use them and invest in them. But he's not looking at you and saying, like, man, this is what I need you to achieve. You know what he's looking at you and defining us by? Did you love me, and did you love other people? That's the kind of kingdom influence that Jesus is concerned about. There's another story that he tells, a parable of a man that gets beaten up on a road. And he talks about these different characters that walk by. A couple of them are church leaders, people who should know better, people who have been trained in the way and the rule and the law of God. And when they see this need of this man bleeding and bruised and broken and can't walk, can't care for himself, instead of meeting that, they skip around it because it's too inconvenient in the moment. Maybe it's because that reality wouldn't have given them a layer of influence that they were craving. 
I've got friends who turn down opportunities to care for people because it wouldn't give them a platform from which to create a following. That's so sad. When you're three and you're four, you don't really care about relevance. You just care that you're connected to somebody. You care that you're seen. You care that you're loved. You don't care that you're the top of your class or that you're first in something. You just want to be appreciated for who you are. Friends, let me tell you this. Jesus is first in all things. You can't outrun him. You can't outthink him. You can't outlove him. You can't outholy him. He is first in all things. He's got the greatest influence that anybody has ever had in all of human history. And he uses that to demonstrate love for you and for me. Relevance is okay, but it's got to be put in its right place. And those boundaries that Jesus has, loving God and loving others. In our own pursuit of relevance or influence, what's behind it? What's the motivation? Is it to grow your own kingdom or to grow God's? There's a fourth hunger that I believe this text kind of points to and Really, this whole series is wrapped up in this word. It's the, the hunger for hope, the desire for meaning. See, the cool thing is, is when we follow Jesus, we can, we can believe the truth intellectually. We can believe the truth that whatever we go through has to have a purpose and a meaning behind it. But man, is that ever hard when we're right in the middle of it. to sit down with a young widow and say, there's a reason why you're alone right now. To sit down with somebody who's wrestling with mental health and say, there's a reason why you're working through that pain. To talk to a kid who doesn't understand why mom and dad just can't get along and live in the same house. To say to them, there's a reason why you're going through this right now. That might be true, but it doesn't feel true in the moment. All we want it to do is end. We want the pain to stop. We want the frustration to stop. We want the chaos to be put in its right place. And that, my friends, is why hope is more an art than a science. I can't dance to save my life. But I know how intellectually to waltz. It's a one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Anybody care to demonstrate? No? There's an art to it. You can look on a dance floor and see somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who does not. The hunger, the desire for meaning is more of an art than a science. It's more of an ebb and flow. It's a more of a moment-by-moment moment than formulaic expression. 
All I can tell you is that it begins and it ends in Jesus. It starts right there. And maybe that's oversimplified for some of you, but that's the truth. If you're putting your hope in anything else, if you're putting your hope in your retirement plan, good luck. If you're putting your hope in your marriage partner, good luck. You ever tried to love a broken person? Broken people break other people. Without Jesus, there's no way we stay connected with one another. There's no way we can achieve intimacy with one another. There's no way where we can have influence and there's no way that we can have true hope. But that's hard because for some of us, if we're honest, we feel that God and Jesus has let us down. We've prayed a prayer that hasn't been answered in the way that we were expecting. So we don't know what to do with that. But instead of wrestling with that disconnect with Jesus, we've decided to, to wrestle with it in another environment and in a different space. Trying to figure it out on our own. Well, how's that going? I'll tell you the truth, the times that I have done that in my own life have been the most disconnected, frustrating, and chaotic experiences that I've ever walked through. I don't always know the why, but I always do know the who. And while we have a desire for meaning and purpose in all things, Sometimes, the who is enough. And the who is Jesus, who is willing to walk with you and with me through anything and all things, simultaneously, individually, and communally. And I believe that Paul is just kind of as he's winding up this letter, really wanting people to understand it's simple, but without Jesus, there is no hope. There's no hope. Left to our own devices, we cannot create or satiate our own hungers. So I've said this already. It's a question I've given you. I'm going to say it again. Are your hungers driving you towards Jesus or away from him? If it's away, then they need to be recalibrated. And the away can be much more subtle than you think. So here today, in the middle of June, we're going to have an opportunity to pray for one another and with one another. Around this idea of hunger. And what I want you to do in these next few moments, whether you've been here by yourself, or if you're watching online individually, or you've got people around you that you've come with, friends, family, whatever it might be, have a little bit of a conversation about this whole reality, this hunger thing. Maybe one of these hungers, you know, sometimes we don't see ourselves really clearly, but the people next to us can see really clearly. Sometimes my wife and my kids 
are super helpful to me because they're like, ooh, that's, that's missing right there. And I'm like, no, it's not. And so sometimes the people around us are really helpful. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes the people around us are using us for their own benefit. But if you've come here with people that love you and love Jesus, maybe they can be really helpful for you in this exercise and activity as we go to prayer. But ask yourself that question. Are, are my hungers driving me towards Jesus or away from him? And yes, it's possible to be moving towards Jesus in part of your life and away from him in another part. We're complex creatures like that. And so from a holistic perspective, ask yourself that question. And what we're going to do is traditionally we have an opportunity on a monthly basis to pray specifically together with one another. We're going to have a a space to pray here at the front. We're going to have a space to pray at the back. We're going to have a space to pray in the balcony. And there's some people, some staff, and some board members that are going to be there to pray with you. Now let me say this about somebody who comes to be prayed for and prayed with. That is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of strength. It's foolish to think that we can do this on our own. Good luck with that. And so bringing our hungers, our needs, our questions to Jesus, that's exactly what we should be doing on a daily basis. But maybe Jesus is going to say to you, hey, you know what? We're good. All of your hungers, yep, they're, they're within the parameters of the riverbanks that I've set up, so, so we're okay. And you might be thinking, well, Jason, then what could I do? Well, we started something last week called the My Three Name Challenge. And maybe you can pray for three people in your world who do not yet know who Jesus is or deny him in some fashion. You can pray for them, that their hungers would be filled and satiated in who Jesus is. And maybe you've already been praying for them, and that's awesome. Thank you. We want to be a praying community that brings people towards Jesus in every way, shape, and form that we can. And so if you're praying for those people, that's awesome. But maybe then you need to be praying for other people, your other, the other side of the three-name challenge, people that you're supposed to be investing in, that God's inviting you to have a layer of intimacy and connection and, and relevance and hope with. And maybe that hasn't yet been clear, or you haven't moved toward that reality just yet. So that's an opportunity to pray for that space as well and those things. So whether that's to physically come and bring your hungers towards Jesus, bring these people that you know that are far from him towards him, we just just want to pray. Because without Jesus, there is no hope. For any of us. As we move to a time of prayer, I will begin our time of prayer by praying for each one of us. And then I'm going to invite you to move. Maybe it's going to take a posture of prayer in the space that you are. Maybe it is to come and be prayed with and prayed for. Let's let our hungers be satiated by the only person that can actually do just that, Jesus.
Let's pray together. Father, in these next few moments, as we set aside time to pray, I ask, I ask that you would meet us here. I ask that you would allow us to align all of our lives under your leadership and your guidance. Sometimes our desire to be fragmented, disconnected, creates this illusion that we can move forward in one space and lag behind in another. But the truth is, Jesus, that our hunger only ever leads us towards you or away from you. So in these next few moments here, Father, would you speak clearly to each of us about what that looks like particularly and individually. And Jesus, maybe we're in a really good space with you personally, and that's awesome. Would you put on our hearts those people that do not yet know you that are in our world, that we can intentionally pray for in these next few moments? And would you give us names of individuals that we're maybe already connected with or we know of and haven't yet connected with who we can begin to disciple and mentor and invest in? You call us to love you and you call us to love people. That's what true relevance and influence looks like. May we be a church family, a group of people that is known for their love. Father, give us the courage to respond as you lead. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.